morning. Okay, so we're reading from Matthew 2, verse 1 to 12. And I actually can't see it from here, so I'm going to have to zoom in on my phone. Hang on. Um, Or just hold it. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic. Um, Okay, so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them, fantastic, uh, where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They then opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of God. Frankincense, gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Sorry, I still can't see. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Sorry, guys, can't, so blind. Um, This is the word of the Lord. Peace be to God. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Sophia. Wonderful. Why don't we pray as we start? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, um, more importantly, for what it tells us about you, who you are, what you've done for us, and this most extraordinary event in history, the birth of Jesus Christ, and all that he means for us, all that he means for our world. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now, give us insight and revelation into these words, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's that time of year, folks, isn't it? Has everyone got busy with their, who's decorated their house already? Anyone? Hands a bit higher. Not many. Who hasn't yet done it? Who has no plans to do it? Any other Grinches? No, I mean, I'm sure my wife will do something about that. But it's that time of year, isn't it? Uh, The tree, I would look here, the tree will be here. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Join us again next week. The tree will be arriving. Christmas lists are coming together. Anyone else's family do Christmas lists for each other and like have to get each other presents? Anyone else a Christmas Eve shopper? Whose hands? Any specialists? I mean... I love that moment, that just the, the tension and the pressure, as you know, you've got two and a half hours to get it all done. But I've married into a family that they do Christmas lists that begin in October. <laughs> Pretty sure. You know, and it's like, what? Sorry, is it Christmas Eve? No, I'll get back to you. So it's all happening, isn't it? And it's all very exciting. And uh, we're looking forward to everything that's coming up. It, it brings a wonderful feeling, doesn't it, December? And all of the services, carol services, mulled wine, mince pies, the telling of this beautiful story, being with friends and family. It's very special. 
But what I want to ask today is, is it more than just a nice story? Is it actually something that we can base our lives on? Is it real hope? I guess. Is it true? And as we begin this Advent, we're going to be looking at a different uh, topic, a different element of the Christmas story each week that I believe shows us that, yes, it is. And it is transformative, not only to our lives, but our culture, society, even the world itself. And we're doing a series uh, called Everything Points to Jesus. And we're starting today uh, with looking that the universe itself points to Jesus. Creation itself. We're looking at creation this week. We're looking at God's word, uh, prophecy next week. You know, Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies in his life. Prophesied 300, I mean, hundreds of years before he was even born. So we're looking at God's word next week. We're looking at the spiritual realm the week after that. If you believe in angels, if you believe there's more to this world, more to the universe, then join us that week. And then Christmas Eve, we'll be looking at our own hearts, how our own hearts point to this being true. Everything points to Jesus. We see in Psalm 19, we're looking today at the universe, points to Jesus. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. The universe points to Jesus. I was at home visiting my mum. Uh, we went to visit my mum for just a day and a night uh, this weekend and went on a walk. Don't you love this time of year when it's so cold and the sun is out when it is out, you know, when it's beautiful and it's crisp? And we were walking, and I'll just be honest, you know, this is just an average hill in Hampshire, okay? Any other Hampshire people here? There's a lot of average hills, aren't there? I mean, we're just going on our local walk, and it's an average hill in, in Hampshire, but the, the mist is coming down. I think it's the mist. I never know. What's the difference between mist and fog? Quickly, anyone? What? No one else knows. Okay, great. Okay, so the mist is coming down. We're walking up the hill. The sunshine's breaking through. It's hitting the landscape. And I just had one of those moments, and perhaps you know them too, where you're walking in creation, you're walking in nature, and you just cannot believe how beautiful it is. Anyone else? We all know those moments, don't we? Again, this is just an average hill in Hampshire. But the beauty of it all, and I managed to take a snap. I think, Jess, we've got a photo. I mean, that's the sort of thing we're talking about, folks. Isn't that stunning, the photo itself? It's impressive. It's arty. It should be entered into something. But no, it's a, that's a basic thorn bush, isn't it? They're everywhere. But look at it. Isn't it beautiful? And friends, I think even the most simple things in life can point us to something more. And here in Psalm 19, David is talking about the heavens, the skies themselves, day and night. We see the sun, we see the stars. It lifts our minds, it lifts our hearts. 
It makes us think there must be more. How did this come to be? And David, King David was writing that psalm uh, long before the Hubble telescope or the James, is it the James Madison? Oh, no, he plays for Tottenham, doesn't he? But the, the other telescope, what's the newer telescope? The, what? Webb, not James Madison. James Webb, that's it, absolutely. Long before they saw those photos, the, do you know what I mean? We see those and we're like, wow, that is incredible. And if I'm honest, one reason as we go through this series, it's a great series if you've got questions about life, if you're a bit skeptical about the Christmas story, come and hear week by week. But if, if you've got questions, this series will be for you. But one of the reasons I'm a Christian is that I think it takes more faith to believe that this universe came from nothing than to believe that something or someone made it. I mean, am I being crazy? I just think it takes more faith to be an atheist. I think atheism is actually unbelievable. And Aristotle said this, Greek philosopher many moons ago said this, should a man live underground and there converse with the works of art and mechanism, i.e. works that human beings have made, and should afterwards be brought up into the open day and see the several glories of the heaven and earth, he would immediately pronounce them the works of such a being as we define God to be. I think there's just something in our human instinct that responds with faith, knowing, yeah, there must be a creator. Someone must have made all of this stuff. Which is why for me on a Sunday night, you know, when we settle down to David Attenborough's sort of Planet Earth 6 or whatever we're on now, I, I just look, I watch those programs and for me, they're worship videos. I watch them and I think, wow, what a creator. Because it must have, if you think about the design of the universe, if Google these sort of stats, if you want your mind blown, just remind yourselves, we're sitting on chairs in Notting Hill on a rock going around the sun suspended in space, okay? Can I just remind us of that? Okay, just before we just get too banal about things. But this is what, Someone wrote about the fine-tuning of the universe. Eric Metaxas, who's a journalist, he wrote this in the Wall Street Journal. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces, gravity, the electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces, were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one value and the universe could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the nuclear strong force and the electromagnetic force, just go with it, I, I do, I don't understand this, had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest fraction, by even one part in a hundred and then there's 3, 6, 9, 12, 15 zeros after that. Okay? So I think a billion is nine zeros. I don't know the word. 115 zeros. Then no stars could have formed at all. Feel free to gulp. He continues. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions, and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin in the air 
and having it come up heads 10 quintillion times in a row. Again, a word I don't even know. But give it a go. And he ends the article saying, really? Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken by this. He later wrote in the article, an article called The Universe, Past and Present Reflections, that a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics, as well as with the chemistry and biology. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Truly, friends, as David writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. They have no speech, as he says. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Such that Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, could write, Though all preachers on earth should grow silent, and every human mouth cease from publishing the glory of God, the heavens above will never cease to declare and proclaim his majesty and power. They are forever preaching. For like an unbroken chain, their message is delivered from day to day and from night to night. They pour forth speech, Psalm 19 tells us. If we could go back to the scriptures, rather, I'll send that to you guys if you want a copy of that. You're welcome. That word for speech speaks of a gushing spring flowing with water. No wonder science chases after that water, trying to make sense of the world. Johannes Kepler, one of the most famous scientists in all of history, coined the phrase that he was thinking God's thoughts after him. Well, about this speech, our passage today in, in Matthew shows us that the wise men heard that voice and they responded. Who were they, these wise men? Well, the first thing to get clear is that they were not kings. Sorry if that bursts your bubble a little bit. They were wise men. They were astronomers, scientists of the day, if you like, from the East. How do they know about this promise to be looking out for it? Well, they'd no doubt met Jewish people who'd been spread far and wide through the diaspora to that part of the world. Perhaps they'd even become believers in the one true God themselves. Their names, church tradition holds out, were Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. And you can supposedly see their skulls in the great cathedral at Cologne, Germany. On top of that, the whole, that whole part of the world was expectant of the birth of someone special at this time. Not very long after Jesus was, was born, the Roman historian Suetonius, okay, so not a believer, wrote this. There had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Tacitus, another Roman historian of, the, of that general period, wrote, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. Wise men heard this speech from the heavens. They saw a star. Now, there are many different suggestions about the natural origin of this remarkable star. 
Some say that it was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Others think other planetary conjunctions. Some suggest a supernova. And others that it was a comet or a specifically created unique star or sign. Either way, something was going on in the heavens. And the Greek word translated star in the text today is the word aster, which is the normal word for a star or a celestial body. The word is used 24 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it refers to an actual physical celestial body. On top of this, this event fulfilled a prophecy. Come back next week. A prophecy from Numbers 24, verse 17, that says, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This was widely seen by ancient Jewish scholars as a messianic prediction. So friends, I hope we're beginning to see, I'm trying to make the case that all creation, the whole universe, points to Jesus. Which is why Paul can write in chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse, being understood by an average walk on a hill in Hampshire or looking up at the stars at nighttime. So people are without excuse, Paul writes. But excuse concerning what? Well, note this. This hit me yesterday, giving thought to this prayer, this message. Note that the three men are described as wise. Now, yes, on one level, they're wise because of their learning, because of their astronomy, their studies that have led them here. But the truth is that the Bible understands wisdom in a very different way. It says in Proverbs 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the wisdom that the wise men show is this, and we see it in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They came to worship Jesus. This star, this phenomenon in the heavens pointed them to this baby born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. And what the wise men show us is that the right response is worship. Let me ask you today, what are you worshiping? Because the truth is that we're all worshipping something. Be it money, beauty, fame, possessions, power, relationships. All of us are worshipping something, friends. Nature abhors a vacuum. And we were created to worship. So if we're not worshipping God, we are worshipping something. And what we behold, we become. What we worship we become like and begin to prioritize and value, and that is seen in our lives. Friends, you can be the richest man in the world. You can be the most beautiful woman in the world. You can be the most powerful couple in the world. 
But what God's word would say to you today is that until you're worshiping Jesus Christ, you'll never be truly wise. Because to worship him is to grasp who he is. That he's the Messiah, the King, the very Son of God. And bowing down is our only right and appropriate posture. We read in verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his, mare, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. You see, according to the scriptures, a life of wisdom looks like not only recognizing that there must be a creator from looking at this stunning creation, but going beyond that and drawing near to worship him. And in the coming of Christ, this God drew close enough to allow us to do just that. So let's worship him today. Amen.